This is the Dear Corner Office podcast, where workplace leaders learn why Black, Latinx, and Indigenous women lead and how to get them back. I'm your host, Michelle Hayward. We are, because we have Flory coming up, and as you're doing the poll, I want to start introducing you to Flory as well. Um, And so Flory is the founder of a fantastic nonprofit. And one of the things I love about the work she's doing, not only because it's it's around gender equity, but it's around employers getting them ready for that work. And so uh, Flory is the founder and CEO of Gender Ideal. It's a nonprofit that uses data to shift the norms of workplace gender equity and inclusion standards. Gender Ideal equips businesses with improvement roadmaps and performance insights to advance their gender equity practices. Uh, Flory was a senior international economist at the Overseas Private Investment Corporation in DC. She holds an MA in International Relations from John Hopkins SAIS and a Bachelor's of Arts from Colgate University. She currently lives in Brooklyn with her husband and two children. I want to say Brooklyn a different way. So I'm going ahead and end the poll. I'm going to share the results while, while um, we get Lori to, Flory to join us. So I get hi. Flory and Lori. Hi. Hi. So everybody, um, before Flory starts, you can see the numbers, right? Skill-based hiring. That's where you're, you're, you're focused on skill-based hiring. Flory's like, some of these look good. Some things I might have some questions about. <laughs> she, she can tell where she needs to help some, some of your organizations right now by, by some of the responses. But I, I do this so the speakers understand who's in the audience, where you currently are. And sometimes we may meander from some of the questions and sometimes maybe the, um, the speaker may dig in deeper from some of the, the responses. So we do this to get, so you get the most out of these conversations. So Flory, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing? Hi, good morning or good afternoon now. I'm I'm doing great and I'm so excited to be having this conversation with you. I've been listening to all the speakers this morning and there's so much um, rich, uh, good content uh, and conversation coming out of this. Um, so yeah, I'm thrilled to be here. Yes. So let, let's take a step back before we get into gender ideal. What were you doing in your career? What nonprofit equity work were you doing out in the world? Because you've done some stuff. So I'm going to let you tell us how you got started. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So um, I started my career actually working in international development and I was so lucky to do this because I was I was young and I got to travel the world and go to far flung, interesting places. But I wasn't there as a tourist. I was there meeting with businesses and looking at the development and the economic impacts of those projects. And one of the things I was always struck by that I always kind of carried with me, um, you know, I would ask a whole bunch of questions about the impact of, of these different companies and projects. Um, and, but invariably I'd get to a question and I'd say, well, do you offer paid maternity leave? And It didn't matter where I was in the world, if I was in Iraq, if I was in the Democratic Republic of Congo, 
The answer was always, of course we offer paid maternity leave. We offer six months paid or a year paid. And of course, of course, because we support families. Like it was kind of almost crazy that I would even ask the question was how it was received. And I would always think, well, and I would say back to them, you know, in the United States, we don't have any such thing as paid family or even paid maternity leave as a standard benefit. And they'd kind of look at me like, well, that's crazy. Um, so anyways, I, and I, I bring up that anecdote because I, it always stuck with me and I always thought, gosh, yeah, we are really far behind on some of these very basic issues around, you know, equity and supporting women and families in the workplace. And so I did that for a bunch of years. And then I spent about a decade at the organization uh, behind the B Corp movement. It's a nonprofit called B Lab. And there we were working with, again, businesses, thinking about their impact, their sustainability. And one of the things that I led while I was at B-Lab was what we called impact management, where we were encouraging all companies, not just you know B Corps, but regular businesses to use our tools to learn about where they have positive impact and then to think about where there was opportunity to get better. And what was really fascinating in that role is that like thousands of companies used our tools um, as a diagnostic. And then they would say, we'd say, great, so now you have your, you've got your, your baseline. How are you going to become more impact oriented? And what they really wanted from us was, well, tell me how I'm doing relative to other companies like mine and tell me based on where I am, what are those things that I should be doing to improve? And I really carried that with me um, when I left B-Lab and when I launched Gender Ideal. Um, so anyways, that's a little bit of anecdote or background on uh, how I got to where I am today. Well, I, I love that you started there because my next question is, okay, where did gender ideal come from? Because you were already doing this great work. Where did the concept of the idea come from? And and where are you today with gender ideal? Yeah. So um, when I left B-Lab, I was totally burned out. And, um, you know, during my time there, I got married. I had two young kids. Uh, a partner that also, you know, works really hard. And, and so when I left, I spent a lot of time thinking like, why, why did this feel so hard? Right. Because in theory, right. I have all of the supports and structures. I, I, I'm a privileged, privileged white lady. Um, and so like, what is going on that is not making this work. And I spent a lot of time reflecting on that and having conversations and found myself kind of like increasingly researching this topic of gender in the workplace. And what I kind of distilled it down to is that there are like these three, uh, more than three, but I distilled it into three things that are problematic in helping to advance gender equity in the workplace. And so those things are number one, when we talk about gender at work, we tend to like lean on these two metrics, women in senior leadership, women on corporate boards as like the, the metrics that tell the whole story. And those are not two metrics that tell a whole story. They tell a little bit of a story for a certain subgroup of people who happen to reach, you know, the upper echelons of business, either by being in a C-suite or being on a corporate board. So I, I but, and yet they're the most frequently referenced data points. And so I felt like, gosh, you can't really make progress if you don't even have the data and information to have a nuanced, more comprehensive conversation about the topics. So that was number one. Number two, the data that we have is also just data from large public companies. 
So these are, you know, big, you know, Fortune 500 companies that are disclosing who's on their corporate board, who's in their C-suite. Maybe they're telling a little bit about a maternity leave policy or something like that. But like it kind of ends there. Um, and it's just that segment of the, the business community that even is sharing that data. And the reality is, you know, three-fourths of the workforce does not work for large corporate companies. They work for small, medium-sized businesses. They work for themselves. They work for nonprofits. They work for government. So again, we just don't even have the data to really know what it is that's happening and then and kind of how to, how to, how to advance it. Um, and then the, the last thing, and, and this I had, I really kind of reflected on from my time at B-Lab was I also don't feel like we have a great clear vision for what an ideal workplace should look like from a gender perspective. And when I talked to companies about work that they were doing on gender equity and inclusion, I kind of kept hearing the same thing over and over again, which is, yeah, we know we need to do better on this topic. So, you know, you don't, you don't have to sell people on this idea, but what they would say is we hired a consultant and we did an anti-bias training or we did this, we did that. It felt really good at the time, but we don't know where this work is going. We don't know how we continue to advance it. And we don't know what success is ultimately going to look like. And so it was kind of those three factors that um, kind of drove me to say, okay, well, what if we created that framework for what an ideal organization looks like, how they are scaffolding the organization from a structural perspective, from the policies and the processes um, and, the, and the benefits, you know, but really take a big picture lens. And then, and again, kind of leaning on my experience at B-Lab, I thought, okay, so what if we create that framework and then encourage companies, plug your data in, provide that organizational level information. And once you've provided it to us, we'll share it back with you, but back to you with performance insights. So like with benchmarks against other companies that are the same size, that are in the same geography, that are in the same industry to, to really kind of inspire that like, you know, business is ultimately about competition, right? And competitive advantage. So if you are underperforming, if you're lagging, wow, well, that's the information, those are the insights you need to know that you have to catch up. And then also, doesn't everyone want to be best in class? That's how you're going to recruit talent. That's how you're going to retain talent, which I know is the focus that we're talking about today. Um, and so use that data to make sure you're the company in your industry that everyone wants to come and work for and that they're going to stick around for a long time. Um, so feeding into kind of that dimension is, is um, kind of like core to, to how we engage and work with companies. I love it. I, I love how you said what is the ideal workplace like gender idea oh now it makes sense it was so simple it was right there <laughs> well so and it came from conversations with other women women who don't have kids women who are starting their careers or at the end of their careers and they would all say what if you know what if workplaces did this it, it comes from this point place of imagination and envisioning what we all want and so then the question is well how do we get there now, during this, you were talking about organizations looking at their data and only looking at the top. Let's talk more about data because, well, I'm the engineer, right? Tell us how using organizational level data can it can advance gender equity in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there are a couple examples I want to share. Um, the... Um, 
the first two are kind of like macro level examples, right? And and there's, I make that distinction because we do kind of like engage with businesses through two lenses, right? One is like, based on where your company is, these are the specific things that your company should focus on improving in the next 12 months. But then the other thing is we, we do aggregate the data and we try to kind of pull out those trends to say broadly, here are ways that businesses in general um, can improve and can, can outperform. So the, the first one I want to, and I'm looking down because I'm kind of looking at this data in front of me. This was from a pilot that we ran in 2021 where we had about 30 companies take our assessment and then we aggregated that data and we looked at the trends. And I think it's it's really relevant to this conversation today. What we found is that 58% of the companies in our sample had already taken steps to eliminate uh, or reduce gender bias uh, through the recruitment process. So these were companies that were doing things like writing job descriptions, and then having either a, a software tool or a or third party evaluate the language being used to ensure that it wasn't, you know, you're not talking about a rock star programmer because data shows that is language that appeals to men, but that you're using kind of unbiased language in your job descriptions. Um, these are companies that are being explicit in advance about, you know, bringing in diverse slates of candidates and then tracking that kind of information through the recruitment process, which I think was one of the questions in your earlier survey. And so, again, we found a majority of businesses, and I should say these are, you know, these tended to be small, medium-sized businesses that, that, that participated, um, but that they have already kind of begun to take that action as it relates to who they are hiring, who they are bringing into the organization. That's great news. That tells us, okay, this is becoming a norm, right? It's a majority, it's, it's common, it's pretty well-defined. But where we found tremendous opportunity for improvement was around, okay, great. Once you've made those hires, once you've brought that diverse uh, community of employees into your organization, what are you doing to make sure that you are reviewing them in an unbiased way, which again, data shows performance reviews and promotions are where bias really surfaces, particularly around gender, um, but also around, you know, around race. Um, and uh, what we found from our sample pool was only 16% of organizations had, had really done anything to start the process of determining how to run an unbiased um, performance review process, right? And so there, there are things that companies can, can do. There's you know, data that shows, okay, train managers on how to evaluate and recognize their own bias, right? Um, I, I think, you know, let's assume positive intent. Um, so bias doesn't necessarily have to come from um, explicit ill intention. Bias is kind of there in the subconscious, but if we can help people to understand, oh my gosh, that's my bias showing up. Oh, that's my, um, uh, you know, that's my um, bias to uh, wanna advance people who went to the same college as me. I need to question that, I need to check that. You know, but to, to train people on, on that is one way that you can integrate um, uh, or eliminate, I should say, bias into your performance review process. The second is doing 360 reviews and having kind of a set 
a set list of questions um, that have been designed in a way to eliminate bias and having a group of both peers and, and, and supervisors use that um, 360 review to evaluate people is another great way to have an unbiased performance review process. But again, you know, these are things that we know and that are relatively simple. They do require some investment, but like these are things we know that companies can do to keep that talent once they've got them in the door. Uh, and very few companies are doing that. Um, and so that is, an, and, and actually the, the second dimension of that as well was then we asked, do you track the data that shows, um, so let me back up for a second. The Lean and McKinsey survey, which comes out every year and they survey you know, thousands of companies across corporate America on, on their gender practices, Lean In identified back in 2019 that uh, they, they call it the broken rung um, phenomenon, right? Which is, hey, look, we've got women graduating at higher rates from college than men are and from, at high, with higher rates from advanced uh, you know, graduate programs, higher rates than men. They're coming into the workforce at the same level with the same training. And at that very first promotion level, right? One year, two years out where you start to promote people into management or supervisory roles, women are drastically under-promoted relative to men. So, hey, it's actually relatively simple for an organization to say, well, we don't want to be doing that. Why is this happening? What's the first thing you do to figure out if it's happening? You track the data. You track promotion rates and you break it down by gender. And you should also be breaking it down by race. Um, fewer than that 16% of companies was doing that. So that's, again, a really basic example of ways that companies can put little systems in place to even identify where are these issues happening? Are they persisting internally to then understand how do we fix that problem? Um, so uh, I, I use that again as an example of great, let's celebrate the fact that companies are being really thoughtful about their rec recruitment process, but now we really need to elevate the fact that you've got to be doing a lot more about around retention and promotion to um, to address these, you know, generational and systemic issues. Um, you know, another another example, I guess I would I would um, cite again more at the macro level, but it's just like progress on maternity leave. So I mentioned that anecdote at the beginning of, you know, being in uh, countries that we like to call least developed countries that are socially far more progressive actually than ours. Um, you know, and I'll reflect, I have a 10 year old and when I, when he was born, I got a 12 week paid maternity leave. Turns out two of those weeks actually were my annual vacation. I didn't quite know that at the time, but nonetheless, I, I celebrated because very few other people in my cohort um, even got 12 weeks of paid maternity leave. Well, you know what? The great news is this issue has actually gotten a lot of attention and the data now shows that as a country, we've made a lot of progress in the last 10 years. So I think now it's 30 to 40% of American workers do have access to paid leave. But, but there's a big but because the majority of hourly, part-time, 
lower income jobs do not provide these kinds of core benefits. And so even though it's great that we've made progress, a lot of that progress has, has kind of lived in like corporate America, white collar professional jobs. And so we need to keep pushing the business community. And there is a very compelling business case around talent retention, recruitment, and the data is there, that these are norms that need to shift for all of America's workers. But then the very last thing that I would say is on that micro level, going back to that individual company that's like plugged their data in and and is now thinking, well, what do I do with this data and these insights? We uh, generate custom sets of recommended actions for each company based on where they are. So it's not just a one size fits all solution. It's very much based on where you are today. Here are four things that your company should do in the next 12 months. And then once the company has implemented those four things, we say, okay, great, come on back. And now we're going to, you know, little, um, you know, breadcrumbs now do these next four things in the next 12 months, but you can rest assured that you are making progress towards a long-term goal. I love that. I love how you brought in uh, unbiased performance reviews. I was reading a report from Textio and they were saying how the reviews for black women, especially or black employees, was non-actionable. And I was talking to women in the community. I said, well, what did your manager say in their, your review? And it was like, was it anything you could take, you could take action on? It was like, no, I said, you need to go schedule an appointment with your manager and ask very specific questions mm -hmm. as to what do you need to be doing specifically to get a promotion. If he or she, they don't provide that, you need to find switch roles so you get a better, more supportive manager, unfortunately, because this manager is is not the one that's going to help you get a promotion or you're right. going to have to leave the organization. And so sometimes we have to have those conversations and know, first we have to know to have the conversations, what to say in the conversations to gauge whether or not who we're working for is in support of us. Because we're like, well, everybody gets a performance review. No, Todd might've been told to go take this training class, perform at this level on a project to get a promotion. You're like, well, you know, just keep working hard. You're doing a good job. Right. That's right. non-actionable. No, and it's not fair. I mean, your advice is the right advice for that individual. But for us to ultimately, as a society, make collective progress, we've not got yet. to change at the system's level, right? Because yep. um, people need to, everyone needs to know how to understand their own bias and then how to eliminate it and to recognize and accept that we are imperfect, but in pursuit of, of being better, these are things that we all need to collectively change because otherwise it becomes like really whimsical and subjective. It's, it's just, Oh, I'm asking Joe, my, my boss. No, you shouldn't have to ask Joe. Joe should have gotten the training and Joe and everyone else at Joe's level should already be very cognizant, familiar and, and able to talk about it. Right. Um, I think the work is going to end up being done in several directions. I wish we could wait for it to be done through the orgs. And right now, the pay gap, especially with Black women, has widened in, in 12 months. And so you have we have to do some additional work, at least to keep the negative, the reverse widening of the, the pay gap for Black women. So unfortunately, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Organizations need to do the work, but unfortunately, 
they're not going to do it fast enough. Otherwise, we'll be working two full years to get the same pay as a white man earns in one. So, yep. yeah. So um, before I, I have another question before we wrap up, this this always goes by way quicker. <laughs> Can you share some examples of what this looks like in practice? We what does, you know, like gender equity in a workplace really can really look like? Can you give an example of that? Yeah. So, I mean, again, uh, it's not one size fits all. The specifics for an individual company would would look really different. Um, but it could be anything from, you know, a company uh, doing a pay equity assessment. Right. I mean, you talked about the, the pay gap. Well, guess what? Only about 40 percent of companies in the United States have conducted a pay gap. Um, a, 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 a pay equity assessment. And this is an area where just in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of advancement and progress in um, the, the, the tools that you can use and the data that's available so that even if you're a small company, there's a lot of good data that, that would help you compare and know, um, yes, we're paying up to an industry norm and we've, we don't have those inconsistencies internally. Um, so, you know, that could be one example of one. And then, you know, another, and I, I think this is an area where there's still a lot of opportunity for kind of additional research and validation from researchers and, and academics. But, you know, one area that's really important is creating that inclusive culture. And so um, something that, that we've been doing a lot of work actually with a great kind of partner organization called Habitus Incorporated, but is in how to run inclusive meetings. So, um, you know, you get everyone in a room or you get them all online. How do you make sure that everyone's voice is heard, that it's not just dominant voices, um, that everyone feels like they can contribute equally. And again, there are some really interesting software um, developments on that front. Um, but then there also are just some great kind of trainings that you can do with a group so that everyone um, is synced up and aligned on like, okay, cool. This is how we're going to do meetings so that we are, creating a sense of inclusion for all of our colleagues. Um, th those are just kind of two specific examples of the kinds of recommendations that would come out of um, our assessment. Um, but I would say like, like really importantly, we kind of see our tool as like the diagnostic as like the first step as companies are digging into this work. And then really importantly, some of the folks like Christina and others who you've had on this call, like once it's been acknowledged, oh, we need to pull apart our recruitment process or you know we need to really invest in our mentorship and sponsorship programs then you bring those experts in and they're going to help do the implementation and really make sure that it's done right with all of the right details but you're you're kind of prioritizing the right set of of logical next steps and low hanging fruit based on your company's performance thank you thank you so much for that this has been really great and before we get out of here, how can people connect with you? Yeah, um, so our website is gender-ideal.org. Um, you can go there. You can email me directly. I'm flory at gender-ideal, sorry, gender-ideal.org. And I also just want to put a quick last plug in. We also have a new website we've just launched called protectreproductivehealth.org, which has a set of resources for businesses to take the right steps to protect the reproductive health rights for all of their employees, um, especially their low, low income employees. And so I'd encourage folks to check that out as well, but happy to stay in touch.
I, I appreciate it. And I'll drop in the link for the reproductive health rights. I'm pretty sure I have it from when we did a uh, LinkedIn Live a couple a month or two ago. I forget what month it was. Yes, I know. Me too. <laughs> um, but I'll 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 be sure to share that in the chat for those of you that are interested. Flory, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your expertise, the results that you've gotten through your organization, Gender Ideal, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you. Thanks, Michelle. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. So everybody, be sure you go into the chat and click on the link to give your feedback on Flory's talk. Doing phenomenal work at Gender Ideal. What does it look like to have a gender, um, the ideal gender equity workplace, equitable workplace. What does that look like? I think sometimes we do so much work in this space. What does it really look like? I don't know, maybe I should, talking to kids really brings about what it can look like. We always go back, for those of you that were around or watched the reruns of the Cosby show, many of us have that concept of what a diverse workplace will look like, what the ideal workplace will look like. But it's still missing some people, right? Who was, maybe um, Theo was divergent, right? Because he had, he was dyslexic or he had, he had dyslexia. I don't ever try to tell somebody they're, they're, they are the condition. But what does that really look like? So I'm really interested in dreaming about and really focusing what does that look like and, and writing that down and talking to other people, like how do they find, how do they describe a gender ideal workplace? Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to my podcast. It helps me grow. Visit positivehire.co. That's positivehire.co.